can be called the secrets of the the secrets of the Christian life. And I, I believe, you know, that there's there's a lot of confusion uh, today about about what it means to be a Christian, and but also to be successful in anything in life. Uh, there's some secrets. There's some hidden tricks of the trade that if if you're able to discover these, it will really help you in your in your Christian walk. And so the very first thing we're going to do before we as we start the series is we're going to kind of define what Christianity is. I, I believe that there's a lot of confusion today about Christianity and what it means to be a Christian. In fact, not a week goes by when I don't meet somebody and talk to them who has who, who has a negative view of Christianity and what it means to be a Christian. And I know why they feel that way. They feel that way because at some point in their life, usually they, when they were growing up, usually their family of origin, at some point, somebody who called themselves a Christian didn't really demonstrate Christian values and principles to them. And, and so they may, may have called themselves Christians, but their actions may not have been godly. And so what was demonstrated to them, what they saw and what was labeled Christianity uh, may not have really lined up with what how God views Christianity. So things like this, maybe they view Christianity as very rigid, controlling, and demanding because that's what was shown to them. Uh, they view Christianity as a list of things you cannot do. You know, I think you can, you can see, look at Christianity two ways, as a list of rules you can't do or a list of things that God tells you if you follow these, your life will be better, okay? So it's not, it's not a list of things you can't do. Uh, they may view Christians as hypocritical because what people say and what they did were not in agreement. And they may view Christianity as being intolerant towards certain people or groups. But when I, when I was thinking about this, you know, these things we talked about, that does not define Christianity at all. Or at least it doesn't define biblical Christianity. And so let me define that for you because I think you have to know what something is before you can really get, get, get good at it and progress in it. So Christians are just regular people. They're people who struggle with their sin nature. We, in, the, in the Christian church, we call that our flesh. I mean, there, there's things that we're battling against. We're trying to win the battle, but we're battling against. Uh, Christians are people who are far from perfect, but the difference is they've made a decision to give their lives to Jesus Christ. They've asked Jesus to forgive their sins and to become the Lord of their lives. And, and through that, through God working in their lives, they're, they're trying to reach perfection. They're trying to do better. They're trying to live better. They're trying to, uh, you know, become more compassionate and, and, and things like this. So Christians are just regular people with flaws. But the difference is that they've made a decision to follow Jesus with their whole heart. And so real Christianity, simply put, it's about having a relationship with Jesus that really just changes your perspective on life. And, you know, when you, when you meet Jesus, when you have an authentic encounter with Jesus, it'll change the way you see life. Um, how many of you have had, throughout your life, you've had a view of somebody or you've had a view of something but as you started going through life, you realized that your initial outlook on, on something or them, it, was, it wasn't correct. You know, maybe there was someone that you worked with and they seemed kind of snobby or kind of snooty or, 
whatever. But when you really got to know them, you thought, hey, they're really genuine people. They're really nice people. My perspective of them was not right. And what happens when Jesus comes into our life, uh, he allows us to see life, to see people, to see events through his eyes. And that's a different perspective than we would ever have on our own. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, it says this, that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So you can say Christianity really is, is about believing in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that all the things in the Bible, he was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he was crucified, and he rose from the dead on the third grave, that you believe. And that word believe, and see, a lot of people say they believe in something, but they really don't. That believe, the word believe there, you believe in Jesus Christ. It, picture, picture, here's a good analogy. It's like you're at a poker table. Now, I, I'm not wanting you to gamble, okay? Just an analogy, okay? Uh, please, no one come next week and say, Pastor, I took your analogy, and I just, you know, I need help paying my rent. But it's like you're at a poker game, right? And you see your hand, and you have a perfect hand. And so when people are anning up, you just, you just push all your chips over there. Like you just, you're all in. And see, that's what it is. Christianity only works. Believing in God and following him, it only truly works when you're all in. When you've gone on in, it's, it's hard to play church with one foot in the world and the other. It doesn't work that way. So Christians are people who believe in God so much they are all in. And then because they're all in, they profess their faith to others. And that doesn't mean you preach, it just means that, that you share how good God has been to you. So Christianity really, if you wanted to sum it up, it's, it's just a love relationship with Jesus that produces a revolution in your life. It's like you can never be the same because he's coming and just kind of turns your life upside down. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life is begun, has begun. And, you know, I'm convinced that so many people that are attending churches across America, so many people uh, just, just in our country that, and, and people that we meet in our communities, I'm convinced that, that we, they don't have a really good definition of, of what Christianity is, and perhaps it's because of something that has happened to them in the past. And uh, Christianity... This is, this, you may think about this a minute. Christianity is not something you do. It's not an action. It's who you are. It's that your identity is in Christ. And I know some of you are saying, well, Terry, but Christianity is about what you do. No, when Jesus comes into our life, the Bible says there should be certain fruit in our life. But being a Christian, it's about what has happened on the inside of you. The actions just so, show that you are a Christian, okay? But it, it's who you are, not what you do. And, uh, you know, if you, I was watching a documentary, and they went around asking people, what does it mean to be a Christian? And, and I wasn't surprised by this, but many people define Christianity by an action, by something you do. Well, Christians, Christians should love and respect all people. A Christian should not use profanity. A Christian should attend church. A Christian should serve other people in love. And yet you can, you can do all those things and not be a Christian. 
You can treat other people nice and not be a Christian, right? You can go to church and not be a Christian. So Christianity is really, the definition is that it's someone who have allowed Jesus to come into their heart. They've, they've given him their lives, and they are all in about him. And, and so this leads us to another question. The other question is, is how come so many people that, that truly have given their lives to the Lord, how come so many Christians never, never really reach their, their, their potential in Christ? How come so many Christians, their faith kind of plateaus? Because when you read the Bible, we're supposed to start here at salvation, and we're supposed to grow and grow and grow until we get to spiritual maturity. So how come so many Christians, they never reach spiritual maturity? How come so many Christians, they get saved, and they, they, they grow for a few months, and they, they kind of plateau uh, you know, in, the, in, their, in their lives? And, and I was thinking about this. You know, when Jesus describes the Christian life, he uses the term disciple. And the word disciple, it, it means a pupil, a learner, a student, a continual learner, someone who continues to develop their faith. And look how Jesus defines being a disciple in several verses. John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. Jesus said to, to the people who believed in him, so they already believed, he said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, John 13, 34 and 35, it says, So now I am giving you a new commandment, to love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. John 15, If you remain in me and my words remain in me, in you, ask Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus defines a disciple, someone that's growing in their faith consistently, as someone who, first of all, is faithful to his teachings. Second of all, who loves everyone, who loves people, just has a genuine love for people. And the third thing um, is, 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 is that... His words remain in you, and you, you ask him things. So you're, you're having communication with God. That's talking about prayer right there. So let, now let's go, let's go to our series. We've kind of defined what Christianity is. And this whole series, every week I'm going to be talking about, you know, some things, some secrets, some hidden gems, some things that if you understand about the Christian life, it will really allow you to grow at, at, at a faster than normal pace, and it will really produce some change in your, in your life. So there are some hidden gems in life, in, in, in life in general, in every phase of life, that really allows us to become successful. Let me ask you, have you ever started a new adventure in life? You started something new, and you just didn't know much about it, and so you just started. And every couple weeks you realize that you did something wrong. It wasn't intentional, it's just that you didn't know any better. But as you keep progressing and keep going this new adventure, um, you realize, you start learning some kind of, you could call them tricks of the trade. Some things that really help you in your new adventure. So let me give you a, a couple examples. If you get married and you realize that married life is much different from dating life. Some of you still haven't realized. I'll pray for you, okay? Think about it. And, and so like one of the, there, there's, Several secrets or tricks of the trade to marriage, but the first one is this. You have to know this or you won't be married too long. 
is you have to learn to become selfless. Because we're born into life and we're just automatically, we have this selfish nature. And, 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 you know, when you're dating, you can just drop her off at the house. But now she's not leaving. Like she's in, you know, she's in your house, you know. And like she's there, you know. And, and, and so listen, but think about this. If you learn to be selfless, so I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to serve her. I'm going to look out for her. Um, you know, it's just, it, it makes life much better. So wh- when, I, when, I got, when I got married, you know, I, honestly, I thought I was very perceptive in things, but I was really kind of shocked at some of the things that would bother my wife. Some of her little petty things. But how many know if it's something petty and you do it every day, it's a problem? You, you understand that? So one of the th- we were talking about this last night. So when we got married, you know, we were poor, so we only, you know, we... We had one sink we had to share, and we could only afford one tube of toothpaste, so we didn't have our own. Now we have our own, solved a lot of problems. But, like, when I go to put toothpaste on my toothbrush, like, I just squeeze it, right? And, and she says, what are you doing? You've got to squeeze it from the end. And I said, it works either way. But, but how many of you know that that's, like, a matter of fact, if I really, really want to, agitate my wife even today we have our own stuff right if i just open her drawer and just push her tube toothpaste in the middle of the tube i'm gonna be getting a text later right well how many know that the toothpaste is not the problem but she has a preference it doesn't matter which way is right if i am selfless i can just go with the flow right so anyway, some tricks of the trade for marriage, you have to become selfish. Let's say you, you, selfless, let's say you start a business. Oh, y'all know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? If you're a visitor today, if I say, if I say something that can be interpreted two ways, and one of them makes you mad and one of them makes you happy, choose the happy path. Just, just choose the happy path. So let's say you start a business. You're really good at something. You want to start your own business. But let's say you don't have any business experience. So what's going to happen is you're going to make a lot of mistakes because you have to learn some secret skills. You have to learn some tricks of the trade to be able to run a business. Being able to run a business is not just producing a product. I mean, you've got to find new clientele. You've got to run payroll, all these things. You know that, that um, the average entrepreneur, people, an entrepreneur is someone who starts businesses, they fail in two business encounters before they're successful. Now, why do you think that is? It's because they didn't know what they were doing the first time. But through failure, they learn some secrets that can cause them to be successful. Let's say you start having kids and your world's turned upside down. And, you know, it takes a little while to kind of learn some of the tricks of the trade, some of the secrets to be able to be a good parent. And about the time you figure it out, your kids are grown or on to a new season of their life. So the truth is, here's the truth, is that these secrets of success, they're not really secrets. You could have gone to school and learned everything you need to learn to about, learn about business. You could have gone and got yourself a mentor to help you start the business. The, the, the skills are not secrets, you just didn't know them because you didn't even know to look for them. 
okay? I mean, if you're going to get married, you, it would be wise to sit down with a, someone that's been married for a while, has good marriage, and ask them, what do I need to do to have a successful marriage? So they can tell you some secrets that you'll learn the secrets, but you may experience some pain, uh, you know, before you do. So basic, basically, the secrets of the Christian life, they're really not secrets. They're outlined all throughout the Bible, but many times we haven't looked for them. Many times we haven't discovered them, and if we learn them, it will really help us uh, to, to progress in our spiritual life. So today we're going to talk about secret number one. And secret number one is this, is that the Christian journey, is that the, the, the Christian life is a journey that is supposed to be taken with other people. That the Christian life is supposed to be a relational journey. And what happens is so many times people get saved and they want to fly solo in the Christian faith. They want to do things on their own. They don't want to be, you know, connected to a group or to people or to a church. They, they just want to fly solo, just me and God. But here's the secret. The secret is, is that, yes, it is you and God, but it really helps if you have some relationships in your life that can hold you accountable, some relationships in your life that can share what they've learned as they're going through their journey. If we go back to the beginning of Christianity, to the birth of the church in the first century, of course, Jesus uh, started the church, and then the church just began to take off and spread like wildfire in the first century. We discovered that Christianity was never meant to be a solo adventure. It was always meant to, to be done in relationship. And it was meant to be a lifelong journey taken with a group of people who were also dedicated to following Jesus and, you know, through a local church. And so here's, as Christianity began to spread all throughout the Roman Empire, you know, Christianity, people getting saved in all these villages and, and towns, what would happen after a group of Christians, several of them would give their lives to the Lord, it may be a big town, small town, they, one of the first things they did is they, they started a church. And the reason they started a church was so that they would have a place to meet with other Christians who had who had like values, who were on the same journey for fellowship, for encouragement, you know, for accountability. And in, in the first century, many people, when they gave their lives to Jesus, they lost their, um, their blood family, their, their natural family. And even today, many places around the world, if you believe in Jesus, if it's a Hindu country, a Buddhist country, or whatever, your family's ostracized you, and, and your family becomes, becomes you know, the, the, the church. Let me read a passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says this, uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, think about that. Look at those words, every day. Every, it was an everyday, it was an everyday life, an everyday commitment. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being who were being saved, and I was you know I was reading, reading this and, and just thinking about it, and uh, 
when we, when we read, when we read this passage, many times what we do is we just say it doesn't apply to us because there's no way we can get together and have church every day. I mean, I'm here every day. I could, I could, I could have service, but like you have life, right? You have work, you have commitment, you have things. And, and you see that the culture was different that, that facilitated the everyday getting together. And what I want to show you this morning, what I want to try to encourage you is when you read the Bible, don't, don't just say, oh, that, that's not for today because it can't be done. See, I, I believe what they were doing, the model they had in the, in the first church, it still can be accomplished today, but just through a different method. And so it said very plainly that they had large group meetings in the temple. Of course, the temple courts in Jerusalem could, could hold thousands of people. So they would come in there, they would flood in the temple, in the temple courts, and, and one of the apostles, maybe, maybe Peter, and these guys were, were teaching them in a large group setting. But then it says something else, that they also got, out, got together outside of the large meeting. So basically they had small groups in the home. They were meeting together in the homes, uh, talking together, account, accountability. And most probably what they were talking about, they would go to the temple courts and hear the apostles, the disciples teaching. And then they would later on, they would meet together and have, have a meal together and just talk about what was shared that day. It was, it w there was a spiritual uh, conversation going on. So the secret of the early church was that they developed a spiritual community. Uh, they were on a shared journey. They shared their lives with each other in large groups and in small groups. And so what we see is that Christianity was a transparent activity. And I, I know what you're saying because uh, we, when we talk about small groups or sharing with people, even from up here, I see fear on their eyes. I see, see fear in the eyes. And it's like, man, Terry, I got, really got some problems. I'm not sure if I want everyone to know about that. Well, guess what? The person sitting next to you, they have problems too. And if you think you don't have problems, that's your problem, right? <laughs> I, I mean, really, we're, well, see, we're all on a journey. We said that Christians are regular people. We have struggles. We have fears. We have insecurities. We have problems that we're dealing with. But we're dedicated with the help of Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us, to overcome our problems. I, I tell people, man, we don't want to be dealing with the same problem for years and years. Get over that problem so you have a different problem to face. How many of you know, you, have any of you ever said, man, I just want this problem to be solved so I have a new problem? I mean, sometimes a new problem is good. It has a new face. It looks different. Uh, you know, and so the question that, must, that we have to answer is, how can we do this in today's culture? Because things were different in the first century. Uh, you know, there were less people. The villages were smaller. They, they, they all lived close together. They worked less hours. They didn't have hobbies. And they didn't have select sports. See, there's, there's great competition today for your time. More than ever before, so... The typical day in the first century. Now, so the first century was much simpler than it is today. But when I say simple, it, it, was, a, it was a harsh life. Because what they would do because they were working manually with their hands is, you know, they would work from early in the morning to early afternoon. And when it started to get hot, they, they went home. I mean, that was it for the day. And, and they had the afternoon to, to do some things. And 
and uh, any any event or social life that they had would have been community related. And see, today we're, we have all these solo things that we're doing. We, we've become so busy. I mean, think about it. Let's, we're just being honest here. You know, if you live in Sugar Land or if you live in one of the suburbs and you dri- have to drive into Houston for work, your commute may be an hour and a half a day. So you got 10 hours of your day just going to and coming home from work. And, and, and there's still things that, that you have to do. And so what I take from this is, you know, I, I give you this. We may not can do it every day, but it doesn't excuse us from not getting together with, with, with other people. It doesn't excuse the, the, the fact of, uh, of not having fellowship and not making that a priority. So if the secret of the Christian life is based upon developing relationships within a community, we just have to find a way to make that a priority. And again, I think it, it is possible to do that without putting pressure on your life, but, but it has to become a priority. So the first thing is this, is if the Christian life, the first secret is it's really about developing relationships with other people who can help us, who can encourage us, who can call us if they don't see us for a while. If, if, if that is so important, then we as Christians, the first thing we have to do is say, if that is important, then I need to find a way to get that in my life. Maybe not every day, maybe twice a week, whatever, maybe once every two weeks, but we have to find a way to do that. And I'm going to talk about that and maybe help you out with that here in just a little bit. Today, today in our country, there's 327 million people in America, and today, 17% of people actually attend church. That's about 52 million people, okay? But of the, of the 17% who actually, you know, attend church, only, only 40, actually a little bit less than 40% of those are involved in any, with anything outside of like a Sunday service. So the, the most of the 52, the, you know, most of the 52 million people that actually go to church, like they come to church, you know, they make it there, they do service and they leave. And then they don't do anything with church until they come back again, which may be in three weeks, in two weeks, whatever. But they, they don't have anything. They don't have Christian relationships outside of Sunday service. So basically about 40%, 39%. So that means about, tw- about 19 to 20 million who actually attend church are involved with things outside who have said, hey, relationships are, 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 very, are very, very important. So what that means is that about 60% of people that attend church, I mean, their, their church attendance, their church involvement, it, all it does is it just relates to Sunday morning when they're able to go. They don't do anything out, outside of that. I'll tell you a funny story. For our 18th anniversary, Tracy and I, we went to Rome, and uh, we, we, stayed, we went to Italy for a few days, and we, we were in Rome, and we, we signed up for one of these trips to go see the Roman Forum, like a walking tour, and to see the Pantheon and the Roman Forum and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, we went there, and there's a group of, like, 20 people who were also on the tour. And, uh, you know, because we were in Italy, most of the people didn't speak English. But we saw this other American couple. And so we kind of gravitated over to them, and we started talking to them. And, and they, said, they said, hey, where are you from? And we said, hey, we're from Houston. And they said, we are too. And they said, well, what, what do you do? I said, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church there. And they got excited. They said, 
they said, that is awesome. We are in a great church. And they started just telling me all this stuff about this. So that, that piqued my curiosity. We had something to talk about. So I said, so, uh, hey, so what's the name of your pastor? I mean a blank stare, right? Like a blank, a blank stare. But they, they had been hyping it up, you know. I'm like, well, hey, well, what ministry are you, are you involved with in serving? Blank stare, right? So, so anyway, it kind of got awkward is what I'm saying. It got awkward. And so we, we, we walked way over there, and Tracy, she kind of got on to me a little bit. I think it was unfair, but she got on to me. And uh, she said, you made that conversation very awkward. I said, me, they were frauds. I, I, I showed they were frauds. They started telling me all this stuff, and they don't know their pastor. They don't know the name of their church. They don't know, you know. And so um, anyway, but going back to the first secret of marriage, marriage being selfless, I'm sure that in some way I was wrong, okay. I was wrong by that. You know, studies, studies have shown that, that just, just church members being involved, in a small group, small group involvement in a church, that it produced incredible benefits. They've done all this research and all these studies that basically 69% of people that, that regularly attend a small group, they feel closer to God. And 74% uh, of them say they understand the Bible better. Yeah, because you're getting together, you're talking about the Bible. Uh, 65 or 66% said that they trust God more. And 48% said they became more loving in their relationships. That one went down a little bit, so that loving thing is tough. 79% of them said they, they attended church more frequently. And what they found is that actually the majority of people who attended small groups actually went to church every week. They made that, they made that a priority. And, you know, I, I think, think about it. I think one of the key things is um, I don't think God ever intended us to go to a church where we didn't know anybody. I mean... If you had a, the choice of going somewhere where you know people or going somewhere where you don't know people, you're going to take going, you're going to take the slot, check the box of going where you know somebody. And what happens is, man, when you get involved in the life of the church, start taking Bible studies, start doing conferences, start doing small groups, what happens is you learn people's names or, or at least you learn their faces. So when you, when you come in, it, it gives you a point, a point of reference to talk to and to start a conversation. So to, to say all that, I'm, I'm getting to, to this point, is that, you know, family life, we are just, we're so passionate about our small group ministry, and our goal, our goal really is to have 80% of our congregation, uh, you know, involved in some type of small group. And we have a variety of things. We have all kind of ways for you to connect with people. And we don't care which one you do, but our goal is just to get you uh, to meet people, to build some relationships, and and, uh, but you know what, in America, small group ministry, although everyone knows it's so important, it's very difficult to get people to participate. So we're at about 65% right now. Our goal is 80, and one, per, one member told me, well, Terry, shouldn't your goal be 100%? And I said, yeah, but my faith isn't that big yet, you know. We're going we're gonna to start, start with 80, right? But er, everything, if, if you're new here, or even if you've been coming for a while, what I want you to understand is that everything we do outside of Sunday service it's just to help people connect relationally with other people. And so we try to have a variety of things. Like this year, we've already had two one-day Saturday conferences. 
one was a marriage conference, another one was a, a financial conference. Um, we have well, several times a year we'll have Bible studies, a variety of small groups. You know, our student, our student ministry, if you have teenagers, um, you know, every Wednesday they meet over here and twice a month they do small groups. They break down into the female and male groups. They do things. If your children are back there in children's church, after they do worship and do the lesson, they break down into small groups. Um, we have college small groups. We have, we have all kind of things. And, you know, I've really been, been praying the last few months and really been seeking God's direction for our small group ministry um, and really say, hey, God, what do we need to adjust to be more efficient? What can we do, you know, to, to make it more easy, more effective for people to come? And, and uh, you know, I, I think God is giving us some, some answers, and he, he's helping us, and I think we're going to make improvements. But the, the, the bottom line is, you know, we could have the best small groups in the world, but as, as church members, you have to be willing to participate in it. You know, we can't make somebody go. And I want to say this. If you say, Terry, I like coming to church here. I'm not going to join a small group. Well, hey, listen, you're, you're welcome to come and come on Sunday morning and no one will ever say anything to you. But I, I tell you this, the church experience will be better if you know people. Church experience will be better. It, it's getting a little, is it getting uncomfortable in here or is it just me? Is you, some people are really looking at me hard, you know. No one's left yet, so that's good. Um, basically what we do is, is twice a year, we, you know, again, we're trying to, what, what, what can we do to make it easy? We know we can't do it every day like the early church, and I probably know that you can't do it every week for a whole year, just too much. So what we do is we have two semesters a year, in the spring and the fall, so from January through about April, before school gets out, and from September all the way to Thanksgiving, we have, we have two, two times, and some of our small groups go year-round, that's fine, but but we have two, two um, main semesters where we ask people, hey, would you give up six to eight weeks, one night a week for six to eight weeks to do a Bible study, to, to get into a small group, and then, you know, we're going to give you two months off. You don't have to do anything. We're not going to ask you to do anything. And our small groups, they're really, they're really, they're, in, they're shared interest groups. And what that means is that you join a group that you're interested in. For example, if you or a young married couple and you want to grow your marriage, you can join a marriage small group. If, if uh, every, every semester we have the Dave Ramsey financial class, we've taken hundreds of people to that. And basically, that's people who say, you know, I'd like to learn biblically how to do my finances better. And, and they do that, and they build relationships through that. And we have activity groups, you know. Um, listen, we just, we just open up. So if somebody has a hobby, if a lady likes to sew, we tell her, hey, find some other ladies that like to sew. Y'all meet once a week or twice, twice a month, whatever. Sew together, pray together, whatever. Um, and, you know, every Tuesday night we have a basketball group here. That, that's, that's one of my life groups. I do a couple of them. But um, so it's, it's me and a bunch of young kids. We play basketball, a bunch of college students. When I started my group, we had a bunch of other men my age too, but they all got injured. Having surgeries and stuff, so apparently I'm a hardhead, you know. And and these young guys always tell me, Pastor, slow down, you're gonna hurt yourself, you know. But but basically, I like to play basketball, and it's good exercise. I need to do that, so we get together and we do it. We do it together, you know. We do it together. And so there's, you know, somebody may say, Man, I like I like riding trails on my bike. Well, hey, why don't you start a group once a month and get some other people in the church, and y'all go do bike rides and. Talk while you do it and pray together before you leave. And 
share, share things with each other. Um, some people want to get together and do a book of the Bible. Hey, so the church, we will provide you with the resources to do whatever type of group that you want. We have age-related groups, like we have a college students, high school students, junior high students. We have a, a seniors group that meets together. And then we have gender-specific uh, groups. Sometimes we have couples. Sometimes it's just ladies. Sometimes it's just men. But anyway, we, we realize that, that people are very busy. Well, what I found is that if people get together over something that they all share an interest in, it just sparks relationships. I mean, no one wants to go to a small group that, that they are not interested in. I mean, I don't want to do it, so I don't ask you to do it, right? And uh, so it's very, very, very important. So we kick off, we, we take the summers off, and we have a few groups meeting, but we really take the summer off. We know everyone's busy, but, but in September, we'll be kicking off our fall semester, and uh, I really want to encourage you uh, to, to, to find a group. I, I believe in so much, I believe it will make a difference in your spiritual life. You'll build relationships, it'll help you grow spiritually, and the way we do our small groups, we're not asking you for a lifetime commitment, okay? It's just, it's just for six to eight weeks, and I have a big ask. I don't, many times, I don't think I ask for a whole lot, but I have a, I have a big ask. You know, it, it's funny, a lot of times people say, hey, what small groups are we going to have? And I think, why don't you lead one? And they're like, oh, never mind. And I have a big ask, and it's some, some of you have the ability to lead a group. And you have the ability, you have the talent, you have the spiritual maturity, and maybe you've been coming for a long time and you've never done anything. And I just, I just what I want to ask is, we, we need a variety of different groups so that we can be balanced, some that are spiritually based, maybe some activity based. And what I want to do is I want to I ask some of you if maybe you would be willing to lead a group. And what we do is you lead, you'll lead for the fall semester. It's not a lifelong commitment. And then you can decide if you want to do it again in the spring or do something different. But in your bulletin, if you'll pull out the bulletin, there's, there's a, a small group uh, leadership, leadership interest form. And so... I believe on July 7th, a Sunday, right after church, up there in the adult education wing, we're going to have like a 45-minute small group leadership training session, okay? You have to take that, and um, we're going to feed you, we're going to talk to you for a little bit, and uh, so if, you, if you're interested, and you may even say, well, I may be interested, but I'm not sure, just fill it out and put it in there, and when we have our training meeting, you, you'll be able to decipher really if you really if that's something that you want to do or not. Um, I, I want to say this. Obviously, this is, you know, one of the things that I do is I never, I never try to manipulate anyone to do anything. I, it has to be out of a volunteer thing because if you try to force somebody or talk someone into doing something, they end up not doing a good job and, and they don't, you know, it doesn't last very long. And w see, well, here's what I know. We already have people that are meeting outside of Sunday. You already have a small group, but I don't know anything about it. And so if, if you want it to be like a church small group, come to leadership meeting. And then what we'll do here in, a, here in another month before the semester kicks off, we'll have a page, a list with all the, all the small groups that you could check, it, check out and look into. We'll have them on our website. And all this is, this is just an effort to make it easy for you to 
See, sometimes you're coming to church and you don't know that the person sitting two rows over has the same interest as you do. You, you don't know because when I release, there's going to be several hundred people in the hallway and you're going to be, you know, some of you, some of you are going to want to talk and some of you are looking for the exits, right? And so, so think, think about it. People, people ask me what, what motivates me and what really um, gives me passion to be a pastor. And let, let me, every once in a while, usually at least once a month, I'll have a conversation with someone who's been attending Family Life. And it goes something like this. You know, Pastor, before I came to Family Life, I've been a Christian for five years, ten years, eight years. But I just went to church on Sunday morning whenever I could make it. I, I never... I never joined the church. I never started serving somewhere. I, I talked to one guy last semester. He's like, my family, we've never done a Bible study, and we've never been in a small group, and we've never served. We've been here for four months, and now we're doing all of it. And, like, that makes me happy because I know if you're involved in doing things, it will help you grow spiritually. It, it will help you. It's much better than... I mean, can you grow just come on Sunday mornings? Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. But when you add the relational component to your spiritual life, it really, really just opens up the door for God to use you in an incredible way. Okay, so my big ask is, is if some of you would say, man, I, I, I'm interested in doing something, um, fill that form out and put it in there in the box out there on the, on the wall and we'll, we'll – uh, I'll, I'll contact you by through email. So the band can come up this morning. So the secret, secret number one, the Christian life. And it's a secret because so many people don't know about it. They don't think about it. They haven't heard about it. Is, is that our spiritual journey is supposed to be taken with other people. People who love Jesus. Uh, people who will support them. People who will encourage them. People who will hold them accountable, accountable to grow spiritually. And, you know, maybe you're here today, and your whole spiritual journey has seemed a little bit dry. It seemed a little bit hard, but you realize, I think the reason is, is because I've been trying to do it on my own. I've been trying to work hard on my own. I've been trying to be disciplined on my own. And, man, maybe if I added some the relational component of Christianity to my life, maybe it would, maybe it would turn my, my Christian walk into into a growing relationship that doesn't feel like so so much work because I'm adding this component that was always meant supposed to be there. I'm adding that to my life. So the first step is this is you, you have to realize how important it is to have relationships in your life and then you have to be willing to do something about it. I, I'm I was always curious, I was always fascinated with um with um with AA Alcoholics Anonymous because uh, I've known several people that have gone through there. As a matter of fact, 10 million people have gone through Alcoholic Anonymous, and it, it, it just it was just started by someone who was an alcoholic, and, and God delivered him, and he put together this program. But you know the first the first thing that they say is you know really to join AA uh, and really get involved. The first thing that you have to do is to admit that you have a problem is to admit that you're an alcoholic. Because they say, if you don't ever admit it, you'll never change because you think you're okay. And so I, what I want to ask you today is, 
whenever I speak, I'm never trying to make anyone feel bad. I'm never trying to put pressure on you. But what my goal is, is to help you grow spiritually. And nothing will do that like adding the relational component uh, in your life. Would you stand with me today? I want to close in prayer this morning. And, and again, if, if you're here and you, you say, man, Terry, I think, you know, God used you today to really speak into my life. And there's some things that I realized today that I, that, I, that I really never knew. And I'm so appreciative for that. Would you just raise your hands, not to God, but just, not to me, but just to God. God, we thank you. God, and we acknowledge that your ways are better than our ways. God, your path for us is better than the path we could take on our own. And, and God, we just thank you today for this whole idea, this concept of adding relational components to our Christian walk. For our own encouragement, for building us up, for challenging us sometimes, and, and really for, for holding us accountable to living the way that you'd want us to. And Lord, I just pray that you're going to bless family life. And I, I just pray, Lord God, this fall when we start new groups and Bible studies, and God, I just pray.